0: Hello everybody and welcome to the 68th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that had a marvelous weekend. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation.
1: A quick message from our sponsor face-to-face games, face-to-face-games.com provides competitive pricing on magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the u.s and canada check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com whether building your deck or stockpiling
0: a spec i'm your host james chilcott aka at mtg critic on twitter my co-host is travis allen aka at wizard bumpin and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game magic the gathering
1: hey guys glad to be here uh hello to james looking forward to another great Episode this evening, our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All
0: right, Travis, what's
1: on the agenda today? James, this week, we have a show in three parts. We have segment one, our top movers, where we will look at the cards that have moved the most over the past week. Pretty full list this week. Uh, Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I will talk about all the cards on the horizon that we think May rise in price and segment three is our metagame. week in review this week. We've got a big one. We have pro tour Amoncat, cat, which just wrapped up this past Sunday, a couple days ago. So that'll take up. Uh, we have a lot to discuss there and uh, we might touch on a couple other small topics towards the end of the episode. We'll see. Uh so let's start right at the beginning here. segment one top movers. Our first card of the week is Chandra Flame Caller from Oath of the Gate Watch. Started a little under $4, ended up at around $7 for not quite a double up. Had a pretty good pro tour, in fact, had a really good conversion rate, uh, which we'll we'll bump into a little later. But Chandra Flame uh kind of didn't do a lot when she was first revealed. Um Then spiked and was suddenly really good. The price jumped, made some people some money, and then she kind of dwindled back down. Everyone forgot about her, uh, especially after the rise of copycat. But she kind of came back with a vengeance this time. She didn't dominate the format or anything, but she, her role in uh, Aetherworks Marvel decks was very important, and the decks that played her did really well. Uh, she did a great job of cleaning up zombies um, and helping battle some, some of the art, uh, aggro strategies like vehicles, while also being able to pressure like other Marvel players or those types of things. So, pretty good weekend for Chandra. If she wasn't in Oath of the Gatewatch card, uh, I would be a lot more excited about having tried the spec on her, uh, or have gotten in during the Pro Tour, but alas... With her rotation pending, there's not uh, not much to do there. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you were it, you managed to pick up some copies in the three to four dollar range, you're probably going to have a, a reasonable exit in the near future as people. Uh, wrap their heads around the fact that she's really good against aggro and can put pressure in onto the board quickly against planeswalkers that, because she makes those three, one haste elementals that can, that can pressure the board. Um, and, uh, she also in the, in the other works decks has the function of potentially, um, uh, swapping up your hand, right? Like she can discard cards and redraw cards. Um, which yep. is, a uh, is useful when you're trying to find the right piece of the puzzle. The uh, So, I mean, a, a strong Planeswalker that has popped at least twice now, um, but I think if you if you missed the entry point here, it's probably all over. Agreed. Agreed. Um, why don't you give us our next card? So, we got another card from Commander2016 making a move. Well, actually, a couple this week, um, including uh, Bruce Tarl, Boorish uh, Herder. This is a human ally for two red-white, 3-3. Uh, whenever he enters the battlefield or attacks, target creature you control gains double strike and lifelink at end of turn. Not all that exciting by himself, but he features the partner ability that allows you to have two commanders if both have partner. Um, And we've seen some movement on these partner cards uh, and other cards from C16. Uh, This one went from $3 to $6 on relatively low supply. And this is just going to be, you know, the story of the quarter is Commander 2016 cards. Um, You're going to see them keep popping up on lists as things that are moving. You're going to see them keep popping up on our cards to watch. Um, And if you're ignoring them, you're probably not doing it right.
1: Uh, Yeah, we will talk more about that in a little while. Next up is uh, Sphinx of the Final Word. Uh, again, from both of the Gatewatch, we're looking at um, foil and non-foil copies. In this case, the non-foils jumped from two to four fifty for a little over a double up. Leading into the Pro Tour, the price on this of this on Moto spiked pretty hard. Um, I never really quite figured out why, if it was somebody making a move or some other aspect. Uh, seemed like people were, were kind of picking it up right ahead of the Pro Tour. Why you'd want a 7-monom 5-5 five five that's a con- finisher and control, like why you'd want a playset or a lot of those, I don't quite understand. Um, so I advised people to stay away at the time. Uh, you know, you probably didn't really make any money if you bought any of these. Uh, so I, it just seemed like, like speculation heading into the Pro Tour, and it really did absolutely nothing. So I would be dumping any of these as fast as I possibly could if I was unfortunate to own any, as it were.
0: The key story here is that people in standard just continuously seem less uh, prone to uh, chase after combo and control builds. Um, The aggro and tribal builds seem to be much more capable of sustaining spikes. Zombie cards are are holding steady as one of the top decks in the format because people seem excited to play them um marvel has been a card we were you know calling on people to snap up copies up at three dollars for months um and people just sat on it because they weren't excited about marvel and then for a while thought our guardian kind of invalidated the deck but then when it became clear that it was going to be back on the radar and and did well at, at the pro tour um you know marvel got up over 10 but it's already floating back down into the six to eight dollar range um so uh, i think the story there is that uh the aggro decks uh know their key components may be more attractive uh overall especially if standard uh isn't doing that well in terms of overall participation
1: well it does seem more pl- like the tribal decks seem more consistently playable in the sense that you can show up at F and and play at zombies every week and enjoy it and uh you know i kind of wonder if that's the case with with a deck like aetherworks marvel so that could be maybe a big part of it
0: um okay what do you got next for us james so next on our list we've got uh let's see. Uh Mystic Retrieval out of Dark Ascension. Uh foils moving from a dollar seventy five to four twenty-five. Um I for the life of me can't imagine why that would be. Uh I also don't have a clue. So <laughs> uh, hoping you knew something I didn't. Nope, I haven't heard any any whispers on this one, so if the uh if any of you listening out there on Radioland um, have input on why Mystic Retrieval made a move other than Low Supply from a set that's, what, six, seven years old now? Um, uh, close to it, yeah. And I mean, it's the foil copy, so I guess it's just
1: solely dwindling.
0: All right. Move, moving right along.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, okay, why don't you take the next one? Because that one was underwhelming
0: sure so condemn foils have also been making a move there's uh this card is getting more play in modern some people have been using it to try to tackle the death shadow decks and the cards moved from 350 to 10 dollars in foil which is 185 percent gain um not a card i'm convinced is going to survive shifts in the future metagame so if you're holding any of these you probably want to unload now while the getting get out while the getting is good
1: yeah definitely condemn is uh infinitely reprintable. Um, As evidenced by the fact that it's been reprinted a bunch. Uh, So far, we've only seen like sort of the luxury versions reprinted, um, or I'm sorry, not reprinted, spike in price. So for instance, we saw the uh, NPR versions go first. Uh, which were the full arts that they don't do anymore. And now we're seeing some of the nicer looking foils uh, jump in price. So this is definitely just part of the beat up on Death's Shadow strategy. I don't even know if the card is really that great at it. I seem to recall someone saying it wasn't. Um, So yeah, if you've got some of these
0: that you can get rid of, I absolutely would uh, would be on the sell boat. Oh, wait, wait. You know what? I think I figured out the twisted logic behind why people went after Mystic Retrieval foils. Um, oh, yeah? Mystic Retrieval was reprinted. Uh, is a Commander 2015 card, and somebody might have noticed that the only foil printing was the original from DKA, and the supply was low. And as they were trying to buy up Commander cards, they decided that foils should be would be an easy target.
1: I suppose it's possible. Still, the root the root answer there is still just supply, though, right? Like
0: yeah, and silly because I don't know who's buying these for what deck, but.
1: Yeah. It's a cool looking foil, at least.
0: (laughs) Fair. All right. So next on the list, we got Architects of Will, the foils from uh, the Alara block, uh, moving from 550 to 1650. The idea here is that Living End uh, gets a whole bunch of new toys with all these new cycling cards and that uh, Architects of Will uh, may be more prominently uh, positioned in if there's a blue-black version of the deck as opposed to the uh, previous versions that had different color configurations. Um, you know, the set's at least 10 years old, I would think now. Uh, so foils from that set are relatively hard to find. Although I, it was Alara block that had the all-foil packs that were available at big box stores for a while too, right? Yes, it was. Um, was that only one of the the expansion sets or was it the original uh, Shards of Alara?
1: No, it was it was all three blocks. They The packs contained cards from all three blocks mixed.
0: Yeah. So foils from that block are, in fact, uh, a little more common uh, than from other blocks. But given the time uh, since that all went down, uh, the attrition factor has come into play and, you know, low supply drives prices. Yeah. Who would have thunk it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, for a long time, Noble Hierarch foils were way cheaper than they had any business being because of those packs, I think. Uh, next up is corrosive mentor this is a another in a long line of uh Hapatra cards this is a black guy that gives all i'm sorry a black creature that gives all of your other black creatures wither um which of course means you're putting minus one minus one counters on things which means you're getting snakes or uh elves i think right if you have flourishing defenses in play Excuse me. So just another one of those cards, kind of bulky, jumps from seventy-five cents to two fifty. Uh so you know if you had a pile of them, I guess you get to buy list them, but I don't see people really making any money having spec on these. Even if you spotted this immediately and you tried to buy out the internet, you were still probably paying at least sixty cents a copy. Now if you can sell them for two fifty, you're making like what a dollar and change per copy. Uh that's not really worth the time that it takes to put it in an envelope. So uh Kind of, kind of saw it coming, but you know, hard to really turn a profit on it unless you're a store.
0: Yeah, these are the kind of plays you don't really want to be wasting your time on, um, but that make perfect sense if you're uh, somebody handling a lot of bulk. Um, the kind of, yeah, you know, the bulk from these sets, uh, as Douglas Johnson likes to point out, is uh, some of the the finest bulk you can get your hands on. Um, you know, that was a year where uh, it was a four. The only time we ever had a four set block. And each of the sets was only out for a relatively short period of time, Magic wasn't quite as popular back then, and all of the Shadow, more even-tied uh, sets uh, are in relatively low supply, given you know time since printing, the conditions of printing, popularity of the game, and, and the attrition rate over time. Well, you
1: know, Rosewater would point out that it was not a four-set block. It was two two-set blocks.
0: Given that they all included were narratives set on the same plane, <laughs> I'm going to go with four-set block. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so uh, what do you got next for us? Dark Salvation. Uh Moved both in foil and non-foil. I believe it was the non-foils that moved from a dollar to three fifty, up two hundred and fifty percent. This is the sweet, sweet card that makes zombies and kills creatures, um, that fills the top end of the curve in the zombies decks. Uh, whether it's the black-white version or the mono-black version, uh, they both love this card off, and it does real good work on camera.
1: Yeah, Ed, there was one moment during, I believe, uh, the finals where Jerry was playing. And they commented that even if uh, uh, the gentleman he was playing against, whose name escapes me at the moment, even if he found Ulamog and cast it, uh, Jerry's Dark Salvation would be able to kill Ulamog because it's minus X, minus X, and he had so many zombies Yeah, that it would just kill uh,
0: His finals opponent was He's... Yuya Watanabe, Hall of Famer, right? Yuya. Yeah, yeah,
1: I knew it was one of the Japanese guys,
0: and, but I didn't want to just guess. And, and I was uh, amazed, as I always am watching him play, that his card control is incredibly precise. The The way that he holds his cards, flicks his cards, where he places them on the table, how he arranges them so that both him and his opponent can see um, the condition of the board uh, is all, ex- you know, representative of a very well-organized mind, which explains why the guy's in the Hall of Fame <laughs> and continues to top eight this deep in his career
1: sometimes you you learn more about watching a player not seeing their in-game actions but the way that they control their space
0: yeah and and all the better for jerry thompson to win a pro tour where he had to face one of the finest guys in the game um uh, you know one of the best minds uh in the game and one of the best players um especially somebody who you know even other pros are scared to go up against um you know
1: I, I'm a big fan of Jerry. I've, I've, uh, I've met him a couple of times. He's always been very friendly. Um, so I was really glad to see him take this home with one of the few players that I feel like I have a, I don't want to say like a personal stake in him winning, but like, I actually care that he wins versus just any other random guy. Uh, and it's great that he, and you're great. Right, it's great that he beat you to do it because now there's, there's no like, Oh, well he had, you know, somebody who just lucked into the finals with a crummy deck or something. It's like, no, he beat a hall of famer to finish it off. So that's, uh, That's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, it's a nice place to be. So next on the list, we had Contagion Clasp foils. Interestingly, I had one just sitting right beside me um, that I pulled out of the Super Collection the other day, thinking that at some point it would pop, and lo and behold, here we are. Uh, $1.25 to $4.50, that's a $3 or so gain. Um, I'm assuming people think this is going to go into Atrax and Hepatra and so forth. I'm not convinced that that card does enough to make it in those lists, especially long-term, as they gain more options. Um, but if you can unload a foil in the four to six dollar range that you had lying around awesome
1: yeah i you know i feel like this actually would have spiked a while ago but they had the fnm promo which probably uh postponed that by some amount um i mean the fact that it, you know it, it's just another card that proliferates on command which i can see being the most appealing part of this uh i mean the minus one minus one counters are relevant but you you know the more cards you can have that proliferate, on, on demand is pretty useful, um, in a car, in a deck like a track. So, so I can see it. Um, I don't know. I, I could see the foil actually rising from here, honestly, even at $4, you know, if it really catches on and attracts on Breya uh, you know, the FNM promo is not going to be that, not going to be that many copies. Um, and I could see foils
0: at 10, honestly. Honestly. That could happen. The I mean, the only other reprinting it's seen was in dual decks Elspeth versus Tezzeret, but of course that those aren't foils. And if it gets reprinted in Commander, which it well could, it probably won't be FOIL either. Um although there is this outside chance that at some point Commander starts including foils that go beyond the Commanders. Um there's no reason they wouldn't that they shouldn't or wouldn't do that. Um really just depends on whether they feel like they need to spike sales a little harder.
1: Yeah, I mean that is a, a switch that they're always capable of flipping. Um, and wizards is is very good at letting me get to the point where I go, well, they've done X Y number of times. So we can assume they'll do X again and then immediately doing the opposite of X and blowing me out and making me look like an idiot. So (laughs) I mean, props to them for printing fetches in this year's modern masters.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's problematic because they have to commit to running a, you know, a whole foil sheet during that printing process for that set. And, you know, that's, that's not something they're going to be eager to pursue because it adds expense without necessarily adding revenue. But, you know, the, you could run them, if, if you run the modeling and the modeling says, you know, I think we can sell 18% more of the set and the expenses go up 4%, then, you know, the math could work out. But I wouldn't hold your breath. And I think you're right. Contagion Clasp could get higher before it has a chance to get lower, um, just because it's, you know, tough to print the card in any kind of normal standard set. Um, uh, until the Phyrexians uh, revisit a plane, which is inevitable. Um, so you might get a year or two uh, for the foils to rise a little higher. I'm browsing, and I'm looking at Contagion Clasp, and
1: there's actually very few foil copies out there. Now, obviously, if we're talking about the card this week, that's because uh, it got bought, and there's not that many left. But there's only... like three play sets of FNM promos and one near-mint foil on TCG player. So, um, you know, I don't expect there to be a a large supply flooding back into the market already, right? Because the cards on our list, like it obviously shrunk and jumped, but I do wonder how fast it will rise. Um, Okay, next card on our list is Duelist's Heritage from Commander 16, Um, non-foil, of course, went from a dollar to four dollars. And let me get the uh, the rule text here for you because it is not a common card. It is only from Commander 6 2016. Three mana white enchantment. Whenever one or more creatures attack, you may have target attacking creature gain double strike until end of turn. So a couple interesting things here. One is it doesn't rec- say whenever one of one or more of your creatures attacks, so you can give your opponent's creatures double strike when they attack other players, which is some uh, welcome little trickery. Um... And giving double strike every single turn to uh, to one of your guys or, you know, is, is pretty useful, especially if you get it on somebody lifelinking or something like that. So, uh, you know, just part of kind of the latest list of commander 2016 cards to spike. Uh, you know, I don't think I think that it's not unreasonable that this will settle settle around three fifty four dollars. Uh, you know, there's very little supply out there. So even if demand isn't that great, what's out there is what's out there. So I don't think that this is
0: really can drop that much. I mean, I guess the question is, how how many Commander decks are actually running this? Because quite clearly, Commander 2016 cards are now just being targeted because they're Commander 2016 cards that didn't see another printing. Um, th- there was a bunch of new cards in those sets, which uh, are the ones that have been most frequently targeted earlier in the year. We, You and I both bought Curtain's Call, and was it Grasp of Fate, the, the Oblivion Ring for each of your opponents? Uh, no, Grasp... Maybe it is Grasp
1: of Fate. I don't know. One of those things
0: i think it's grasp of fate it was
1: grasp of fate
0: yeah so i mean let's put it this way the duelist heritage shows up in 1246 decks listed on edh.rec if we go back to the contagion clasp uh, argument um that card in foil uh uh, potentially could show up in 2874 decks, 2874 decks. Um, so, you know, I'm going to swing back to, towards your position, which is that Clasp could get up over 10. Um, I think that's pretty likely, especially given that it's showing up in decks like and Hepatria, which tend to be the hotness right now. Um, the Duelist Heritage Certainly sees some play uh, un- Unclear to me uh, Whether it's the best target in Commander 2016 Right now um, I think I can make an argument for another better one uh, Shortly in our picks of the week Okay uh, Do you want to finish off our top movers here, James? Well, this is the one of the cards That I called last week Uh, Liliana's Mastery, I said, would go from one to maybe six, and it hit four and was our top mover of the week on the strength of the Zombies decks at the Pro Tour. So hopefully you all got in on that at a dollar when we told you to, Um, which was, I think, Wednesday. We recorded Wednesday last week. You guys had a chance to get in Thursday uh, before the Pro Tour kicked off Friday morning. Um, So wish you all the best in unloading your copies as the market floods uh, floods through and keep in mind that this is a, a card from Amonkhet so it hasn't even hit peak supply yet and that kind of downward pressure is going to make uh, make it tough to hold on to these especially if zombies gets booted out of the meta the thing about these relatively linear aggro decks is that solutions abound uh, in the format and the format can adjust a little more easily than when it needs to balance you know multiple targets uh, so it, I'm not convinced zombies will be here in 6 or 12 months um and I'm happy to be selling out my masteries wherever I can.
1: Uh yeah. I mean it certainly did well if you managed to grab them. Uh I want a uh honorable runner up here because I called new perspectives and I was like, if you can buy them at 60 cents, it's worth it. And then within like 28 hours, they had jumped to $4 a piece. Uh, I was able to get out around like eight or nine places or something around that. And then the deck promptly bombed. Uh <laughs> It did not go anywhere else. Uh So you really only had like a couple hour window to sell them. Uh And it's not showing up on our list this week, but it did jump pretty hard for a brief moment. And if you were really quick, you made a profit. So, you know, I want to check in the win column somewhere, <laughs> the, the mythical sheet.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's good that those situations where if you get in low enough, you don't necessarily have to sell all your copies to come out net positive, and then you've got you know you've got the possibility that new perspectives will be tweaked, um or will gain additional puzzle pieces, you know, somewhere along the line. I mean, we probably see cycling cards in Hour of Devastation, and even if we don't. Um, the deck still has several more sets that can make it better. You know, it's got a year and a half's worth of sets that could put it back on the radar. So you're probably not going to be too upset to be sitting on those for a little while um, because, you know, sometime in the next 6 to 12 months, you might get another exit point to get rid of the rest. Correct. Um, Yeah, I sold the copies that I sold. I
1: I, I put me ahead of my entire investment, not by a large margin. I mean, I, I might have netted $20 on the entire thing, But I do have a stack of like 40 new perspectives left. So I can buy list those at worst for like 50, 75 cents and get, you know, another 20 or 30 bucks back. Um, or I, but really I was thinking about doing it at Vegas, but really I should wait until our devastation to see what cycling cards pop up because that may trigger it. And if it, excuse me, doesn't, it's still, I can still buy list them in October or something like that. So, uh, yeah, you know, like it's it was, it was kind of did what I said is the risk was so incredibly low that, uh, you know, you don't get you don't get screwed even if it doesn't work out perfectly. Although I have to tell you, I felt pretty happy on Saturday when the standard deck showed up and like the first round the guy is going off in game one with new perspectives. And they're also talking about how the room is full of Aether Aetherworks Marvels and I still had some of those
0: left over from like Up two Pro Tours ago, and I was like,
1: yes, 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 exactly what I need to see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the funny thing here is that there, you know, Etherworks Marvel was 25% of the field on day one. It had a 70% plus conversion rate across uh, multiple versions of the deck. There were salt brews. There was various flavors of Teemer. And Marvel barely spiked while it was being covered. It had multiple um, instances of coverage on camera. The card didn't really move. Um, it was still sitting in you know the five or six dollar range, having climbed a little from three to four after the uh, banning of the Sahili Rai combo. And then you know as it got more and more evident that there was going to be multiple copies of it in the top eight, it finally started to move some copies um, and got up over ten by the end of the tournament. But now you know you're back to having like a hundred uh, listings on TCG Player, and you, you know you're back in the six to eight dollar range which is still you know you can make some money selling playsets if you got in at 3 like we told you to but it's not as exciting as it should be given that it's a four of mythic that is you know in a you know tier 1 position in the format and what that says to me is two things um and it's unclear you know to what degree uh, each of these contributes, but I feel strongly that they both are. One, Standard's not doing that well. Um, even with the format looking relatively healthy now that they've got rid of the sahili Rai combo, um, it's not clear that a, a flood of people that left Standard are flooding back in um, and buying up new decks. And if they are buying, they seem to be more interested in zombies um, than they uh, are in playing Marvel. Um, something about Marvel just seems to turn a lot of players off um, maybe they're worried it's going to get banned or they just feel like it's unfair. Or maybe it's just like the kind of like techie combo style deck that doesn't appeal to as many players as hitting people upside the head with the walking dead. I think that that's the last point is exactly correct. You know, this is a set that this this is a set that's past peak supply at this point. I'm um, still being drafted, but, uh, only as a, a single pack, right? It's, it's, uh... And, and really, everybody's drafting Amon Cat now, and it's a good format. So it, it probably isn't being drafted very much at all at LGS. So I'm going to say it is probably past peak supply. And uh, you know, if Marvel keeps doing well, th- this card should by all rights be over ten dollars. But you know, it may or may not get there again. We'll see.
1: Yeah, I mean, is if it survives all the bannings, I would be surprised if you can't profit again on this card in October. Uh, I think it still does well in standard now. People aren't excited about it. It's not interesting. Prices drop again. You snag them in mid August, late August for three bucks ish a piece again. And then in September, it will show up because there will be something worth casting with it and it will still be good. Uh, and it will jump up to six, seven, ten dollars again. And you can run the rare hat trick on how many times you can profit off a single card. So, uh, keep your eye on it. Uh, you know, a little too early for me to call it as a pick of the week, but. This is a pick of the summer,
0: <laughs> I think I'm sitting on twenty or so still that were bought mostly at the low price point. Um, I managed to out eight or ten copies Sunday night between ten and twelve dollars all within like a three hour period as people were reading through the top eight decks um but after that really fell off in a hurry. I haven't sold any any copies since,
1: yeah, I got lucky. I had somebody buy I think I had twenty listed, and they bought all twenty at like eight dollars or eight and a quarter a piece and i was like sure nice I'm more than happy to take it
0: <laughs> yeah the the being able to wrap that all up neatly in 5 minutes and ship it out makes the the lower price point more than compensated for oh yeah yeah that is so valuable <laughs> all right
1: well we've uh we've gone over all this enough this week so let's hop into segment 2 our cards to watch uh why don't you give us your first card
0: well we drew attention to atraxa atraxa popped we drew attention to Brea. Brea popped. Um, clearly, the next obvious target is Yidris, who is just about as popular as Brea and has just as few copies lying around. Um, you can easily get Yidris at 4 bucks, but there's only about 100 copies floating around, and once we all eat them up, which I suspect that we will, they're going to be $10 cards.
1: Yeah. I Honestly, I'm a little surprised Yidris didn't go before the other guys. I mean, it makes sense now. Like More people built... Um... Brea and Atraxa, but l- just looking at the original C-16 spoilers, um, I kind of thought Yidris was going to be the most popular, just because Cascade is so busted, and Maelstrom Wander was already pretty popular. Uh, I thought Yidris would be the, the big one.
0: Yeah, Yidris is... Cascade is super busted, um, and, you know, it's it's on... R- roughly on par with about as pop- being as popular as Brea is. Um... So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and buy like nine copies right now while we're recording this podcast, <laughs> which shakes 10% of the supply out of, out of the running. The um, tracks in Brea have been very kind to me, so I see no reason to second guess myself here. Um, no, I... Hopefully the rest of you will get your hands on some $4 copies. Uh,
1: I, I definitely agree with you. And uh, this is a great segue into what I picked this week. Um. I only have one line on the spreadsheet, and by the way, I put it on the spreadsheet before James wrote down your address, uh, just for the record, <laughs> um, but I wrote down every partner and four-color legendary creature from Commander 2016. I think that at this point, you really can't go wrong, especially with Bruce Tarl having spiked, which is a card that I really wouldn't have considered to be that um, compelling, uh, but even he, he, he jumped. I think they're basically all on the table at this point. And the prices are so cheap on plenty of them that there's so little risk that you can pick most of them up for what's got to be close to buy list or what will be buy list in six months to a year. And the ones that do spike, you will do pretty well on. So some are better than others. The red green one that like makes spider tokens when you damage players, I think is not very interesting, but anything that is even remotely playable out of that group, I think they're All home runs. I really don't think you're going to lose much. Um, And I I don't have any... I haven't bought any yet. It's on my list of things to do. I'm going to try and get that done uh, shortly. But I do think
0: that this is definitely... uh, There's going to be a lot of wins in here for you. Yeah, I mean, some of these are going to... Like let's put it this way, Bruce Tarl is only in a few hundred decks on EDH.rec, so I don't know how quickly you're going to be able to out those. And I think that as long as there are cards like Yidris lying around, you target those first. And there's still things like uh, you know Curtains Call and Grasp of Fate that might have further to climb um, on the basis that they're just uh, more likely to be ubiquitous across the board and for a longer period of time. Um, and also uh, cards that I one of the things going for all of these cards, including the the, the partners, is that They're almost impossible to reprint out of a Commander product because they make no sense anywhere else. You can't mention Commander on the card and reprint it anywhere but in a Commander product. And you're not going to see reprints of Commander in less than a five-year cycle. So that gives you a really nice window of opportunity that should give you a, a, a much more secure feeling than, say, modern staples would.
1: Right. Modern staples, you have to move quickly. Um, and you know, you're always have reprints hanging over your head, but these are, you know, they say partner on them. They're not putting partner in standard, right? Yeah. (laughs) So like they might reprint one or two, um, at some point in like other commander sets or someplace else type of thing. But you know, if you kind of scatter shot, I think the ones that, you know, it's it's like venture capital, you know, they don't all have to work uh, as long as the ones that work are successful enough. And I think
0: that that will happen. Yeah, so actually, that, that's an interesting point. Do do you think that the money tree could shake hard enough in the direction of casuals and commander that they would try, if standard was really lagging, to have a set a block where you did have a commander? That's interesting, right?
1: That would require a pretty large rule change for standard magic, right?
0: Sure. Like, 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 but well, constructed. Really. I mean, we already know what the rules are for commanders. We're just saying you can play them in standard for a year. I mean,
1: everything's possible. I guess it just seems like new card types seem like less of a leap almost than that type of thing. Hmm. Um, <laughs> because it's it's, it's it's different in a way that like nothing else has been different before. Um, you know, a new card type was like, okay, well, it's still just a magic card. It still fits all the like really the rules of a normal ma- of other magic cards just of its own sort. But now it's like now you have this whole new zone that we've never used before. And like, I, I don't know. I'm not saying they'd never do it, but it does seem like more of a stretch than a lot of the other things they could get into.
0: Yep. Fair. I, I think there's plenty of arguments you can make against why that you, you can make against it. Um, but it would be, it, it's certainly an interesting concept. So yeah, I I completely agree. My, my next pick this week is a card that, um, uh, somebody mentioned to me on Twitter and I, apologies, I don't remember who it was and it was a little while ago. Um, and I finally got around to, you know, picking it up out of my notebook and saying, you know, I should take a look at where this is at. Um, and lo and behold, the foil, there are way less foils for this card than there are for many foil rares from Modern Masters 2017, even though this card was printed in Kaladesh. Um, so it's basically an in-print foil rare. Um, and I was stunned to see that there are 2,700 decks on EDH.rec already running this card. And the card I'm talking about is Cambal Console of Allocation. It's a white-black one legendary creature human advisor whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell that player loses 2 life and you gain 2 life which is obviously really good in commander but I just assumed it sucks up the next available kill spell and everybody moves on with the game Um, but you can get foils of this card for like a dollar plus a dollar shipping two dollars from some other vendors and so forth Um, and given the profile on EDH.rec I think this is a slam slam dunk like this is a windmill slam win the, the dunk championships slam dunk
1: That is quite a uh, high praise, I have to say. You know, I wouldn't really think about it,
0: given that it's from Kaladesh, but it's not entirely unfair. I mean, there's just not that many of the foils. I mean, there's there's less than uh, 90 results, and almost no vendor has more than two or three copies. Channel Fireball has 10, of course. They usually have the most. Um, but you know, I could snap those up right now and then everybody else has got onesie twosies from here to eternity. And I like that the, the price, uh, spread on the card is really tight right now. So it's actually really easy to go after a whole bunch of these and, uh, an easy argument can be made that it's, it's not super theme specific, which I think explains why it's in so many different decks on edh.rec. Basically, if you're running white and black, you have to consider this card because it has such an outsized impact on the board for the mana cost. I mean, not for the board, but for the uh, life totals of the table.
1: Yeah, and you know, I mean, it, it, it everyone's table behaves differently, but it is definitely a situation where I have found that we, I mean, we played a game the other day where uh, no one ever raft. Like the game came and went and every creature that was cast basically survived if it didn't get shot down in combat or something so you could do a lot with that with this guy so i can understand why he'd be popular especially because players don't run that much removal for the most part like oh like they run sweepers but like that's kind of it usually
0: i mean bottom line two dollar foil rare with, with 2700 edh.rec decks i'm sold
1: yeah i uh yeah that works for me it's a good one um
0: all right. Did you have anything else you wanted to look at? The only card from... So one of the things I'm keeping my eye on with uh, Modern Masters 2017 is the inventory levels. And they're not really moving. Um but interestingly, there are a lot more of the fetch lands than there are of, say, Cavern of Souls or Snapcaster Mage. So there's something like 200 plus listings for most of the fetches, and most of even more than that for most of the other rares from that set. But Snapcaster Mage and Cavern of Souls look to me like they have the the strongest demand. Um, they're both usually run as four ofs. They're cards that people had been holding off buying if they missed their original entry point, and you know we're at the t- you know the top of people's lists to acquire. Um, and they're, you know, getting a, they're at about half what many of the other rares are in terms of total inventory. Um, and that's likely to play out over time. So I think that Cavern of Souls, for instance, at $38 or so is probably going to hit 55 again before it ever gets printed. Um, yet another time that might be in as soon as, you know, Modern Masters 2019 or, you know, it could show up, could show up if the the fall set is tribal focused, maybe it gets a re-entry in standard, but... Uh, tough to say i mean there is certainly some risk there but uh and you know two years ago i would have said definitely not but given that it was just printed but you know the it's hard to to second guess wizards on reprint policy at this point even still my gut says you you're going to get a chance to make 10 or 15 bucks a copy on cavern
1: the very possible and this is a good one i think because it kind of runs under the radar in the sense that it's already kind of pricey, so you're not likely to have. People, a lot of people are going to kind of overlook it. Like, it, conceptually, there's not that much of a difference between like thirty eight dollars and fifty five um for most players like when they're just thinking about prices so you can snag them you know 35 38 40 and then when the card's 55 nobody really thinks much about it because it doesn't feel like it's actually moved that much except for maybe the one guy who's been like really paying attention because he wants to buy his own set you know if you tell me cards 40 bucks or 55 bucks they both don't really register as different to me um but, so it's just in, in the sense that it'll fly under the radar which i think could work to your advantage
0: well, and I think it speaks to the elasticity of demand on those two price points. Like I think what you were, you know, what you were really alluding to is that the same number of people buy a card at 38 as they do at 55, when something gets to 100 versus 30, you, you a bunch of people fall out of the market because a $400 playset is very different than a $120 playset. but yeah, you know, a play set at 38, a copy versus 55, people don't really can't easily process the, that math. Um, and I suspect that the, the demand is equivalent either way. So I, all of that leads me to believe, and, and especially if it's not printed, but we do, but the Ixalan sets are tribal focused. Um, and we know that the Commander 2016, uh, 2017 products are tribal focused. And there's probably a bunch of tribes in Iconic Masters because of what they've said about it. Like they told us there's angels and, and goblins and so forth. Um, all of that leads me to believe we're going to get a very tribal focused year of magic. Um, especially this, you know, we're going to talk. <laughs> talk about it in a minute but there's another set in the summer of 2018 that suggests probably has a lot of tribal focus um so cavern could see a lot of demand just from casual circles
1: uh yeah completely agree um okay so why don't we move along and uh discuss pro tour cat
0: um you you say that like you got a thought here. <laughs> well, I mean, I was running the coverage all weekend. So I'm I'm up to speed on what went down. I you watched parts of it too. You, you did you like it? You have a good time watching the third? Yeah. Uh
1: yeah, it was the 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 bit that I caught was enjoyable. Um the Marvel, you know, watching Aetherworks Marvel is you know, whatever. Um but it, it was a good time. It was a good time. I thought there were some interesting interactions. Either in words, Marvel certainly made for an exciting game at times. I, sh- I will say that.
0: Yeah, I, I'm definitely in the camp of like loving Marvel more than hating it. Um, I know that it just randomly can drop a new Lamog on turn four, and that that's not the best play pattern for standard. Um, but I like it when the Marvel player like needs to roll the dice and win. It's like watching somebody at a poker table, right? And, and you can easily uh outmaneuver me by saying that magic shouldn't feel like vegas um and that's true um but it doesn't make it any less exciting when they're trying to you know spin the wheel and see what comes up and if they hit or miss then you know their their wheel of fate turns and they make more or less money in advance in the tournament and so forth i i like it i like the i like watching marvel decks um so long as the deck they're playing against has a real chance um, and I, and it felt like the pressure and the resiliency of the zombie decks in particular um, was a good match uh to put up against, you know, con- a a controlish combo deck. Um because there was there was some back and forth. It's not just it, it didn't feel as stilted as watching, you know, a splinter twin player go off or a Tron player assembling Tron on turn three. Um, you know they, there was more going on in those games, so we should go over the top eight. Um, we had uh, black white zombies in in the hands of Chris Fennell. He went into the top eight in first seed. Um, the sole black green agro energy deck uh, in I don't know if it was the tournament, but it was definitely in the top sixteen or top thirty two was in the hands of Ken Yuki Hiro at thirty nine points. Teamer Marvel uh, with Mark Tobiasch at 38 points, black zombies in the hands of Christian Calcano. And boy, I don't know if you caught that moment, but Calcano losing his shit on camera. So excited to make his first top eight is one of my favorite magic moments of the year and made me feel better about the game in general. Um, you know, it's, it's such a hard slog to go after pro tour success and to see somebody put their emotions on the table like that and just, and you know, their friends surrounding them and hugging them and, you know, wishing them well. That was a good moment.
1: Yeah, you know, I did not catch it live, uh, but I did go back and see the clip afterwards. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. You, you you kind of imagine that for a lot of these guys, um, especially the, the named pros who you see over and over again, it's just like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. They did well at the pro tour. Okay, it's a, it's a better finish. Good for them. Um, you forget that they're still very human um, and there's a lot of emotion in this. And it really speaks to the game when you see it. Um, because you don't see it all the time, but when it does, when you, when people do display it, it really reminds you what you're watching. Um, you know, the other one that I remember seeing was uh Owen Turtenwald when they didn't know if he was going to make top eight. It came down the breakers of a pro tour a while ago. And Huey was already up on stage. Uh, he had been announced earlier. And then they do, you know, he, Scott Larrabee like, and then in eighth place. Owen Turtenwald and Owen just runs screaming yeah, yeah. up to the yeah, stage yeah. Uh, and you're just like you kind of feel excited for him and, and it was the same thing with Calcano so and I know he's been grinding for a long time so you're right it is it is fun to see those types of moments because you don't see them that much otherwise in this game
0: Well, you forget that some of the best personalities in the game are, are better known as strategists in certain formats or deck builders or innovators um, and they're members of teams, but that doesn't necessarily mean they've got a top eight under their belt or that their success has been as blatant as some of, you know, the Watanabe's and LSV's of the world. Um, and, and so it's just it's nice to see a guy who, you know, who's, you know, most of his financial success for the year might hinge on how he did at that Pro Tour. You know, that that's really different than, say, John Finkel, you know, dismounting from Wall Street and coming down to play a few games. Um, You know, it feels different to watch the success of somebody who really wants it and needs it, who's hungry
1: yeah for sure you, it, with Elsevier and Finkel and those guys it's fun and they have a good time and they're glad they did it but it's like whatever it's just another one and they go home back to their day jobs and make m- much more money doing that than they do anything else uh, and it's it, you know it lacks that emotional impact for them so it, you know they enjoy it but it is very different when somebody like Connor does well yeah uh, especially if you've been following his story because right because he's been playing for a long time and doing this for a while so, and you know a lot of time on the Star City Tour and whatnot so you've been able to kind of live it with him uh, if you were a fan of him
0: yeah i thought it was good that we you know saw both calcano and jerry thompson ultimately win the tournament who uh, was on black zombies finished with 37 points and sixth um because i i think with cfb running all the grand prix um and you know having an outsized impact on magic coverage uh it's it's going to be important that the star city crew does well as as well just to keep things feeling balanced and not a little too inbred um i'm not 100 percent convinced that the the way they've been selecting teams to put on camera has been entirely balanced but i guess we'll see how that plays out over time before i point too many mm-hmm. fingers um in fifth place we had martin mueller who's you know a guy in his early 20s who's already put up multiple pro tour top eights i mean this guy's a future a, a rising star already a star and, and likely to have great success in the future he was on team or um, Frolik, who's a hall of famer uh, 36 points came into the final at the top eight and seventh and yuya watanabe was uh, ended up in the finals against uh, jerry t um, he was also playing teamer marvel so all told we had four marvel decks uh, and two black zombies one black white zombies which actually did the best uh, in, in the total tournament of the top eight decks and then the black green energy deck which was kind of interesting
1: yeah, it was a really good day for Marvel, right? Like, I mean, that was what really jumped out at me when I looked at the results
0: was just Marvel, not only did it do well, but I mean, it it crushed. Yeah, I mean, the, the Marvel decks did, I think, better than a lot of teams expected. And one of the th- the themes that I think was prevalent at this Pro Tour was that a lot of the big teams did okay, but not as well as they wanted to because they didn't break the format um it turned out that they all knew about zombies heading into testing they all wanted to find something that was going to beat Mardu agro that was going to be, beat zombies and take on Marvel and i think maybe they a lot a lot of them through some chatter i saw across chatter back and forth on social media were looking for you know the ultimate control deck that was going to get there or a combo deck like new perspectives but the, in testing those things just didn't gel to the degree that they felt they were going to break the tournament wide open and so, you know, many of the top pros landed on Marvel and the ones that didn't, you know, some of them fell back on uh, playing Mardu. There was, you know, some, uh, I think, uh, and Oach in and ha- Oath in the hands of Reed Duke and company were on Sultai uh, Marvel, which seemed like uh, an interesting choice. Um, and, you know, it just... it. It was a tournament that didn't, you know, have that like Eldrazi Winter like super appearance where the the blue red Eldrazi deck from East West Bowl just like decimated the field. Um, this was, you know, a, a tournament where um, a lot of the decks that did best, just looking at standard rounds, not including the two drafts that they had to do on Friday and Saturday, um, were decks that were underrepresented. I mean, there were there were decks that. That not a lot of people were playing that did extremely well. So for instance, um, yeah, there was a lot of Marvel builds, but it was the ones with four copies of Chandra Flamecaller, or at least a few, um, and especially the ones that were main deck that put seven of seven of their pilots into day two. I mean, 100% conversion rate and not just on one or two pilots, that's that's very impressive. And there were spell-heavy either Aetherworks decks that put 86%, 12 of 14 pilots into Day 2. I mean, certainly Marvel was doing well, but we also had, uh, ver- there was a version of Mardu vehicles that did much better than the others when it ran blue in its sideboard. So they were running the gates and, I believe, Metallic Rebuke um, to... Uh, better combat marvel and you know that tweak seems to keep mardu uh, up there as a viable option Um, both mono black zombies and white black zombies both look totally viable they put uh, 67 percent of uh, 15 pilots so 10 pilots into day two with white black mono black put 73 percent of pilots that was 46 of 63 into day two um but there was also some like under uh, the radar decks the black green cryptolith right deck that sam black was on um uh put five of five pilots into day two and and that deck uh didn't uh really figure prominently in in the coverage up until the point where they did a deck tech um but could be a super uh valid option uh moving forward and for that when you want to be looking at cards like Bontu the Glorified or Vizier of the Menagerie as potential pieces that could go off if the deck does better at one of the forthcoming GPs or Star City Games tournament um i don't know if you did you catch the games with the uh, the Dynavolt Tower pilot i think there was only like two teamer Dynavolt Tower uh decks in the tournament but they both had 100% conversion as well
1: No, I, I missed that. I didn't get a chance to see too many games on the weekend, so I didn't see that, and I didn't really see Sam's either. I did write about Bantu on Monday in my MTG Price article, the Watchtower series, because I do think that that is, um, one of the gods that is actually quite powerful, but has kind of fallen under the radar compared to Ronus and Hazaret. So, uh, I do like keeping an eye on Bantu. You can go back and see what I said about that on Monday. Um, you know, and I, you know, to one of your other points, you're right, we kind of lacked that, that really exciting like deck narrative maybe that we've had in the past, uh, like with the Aldrazi winner type thing. It seemed like new perspective might have been that deck, but kind of petered out and didn't get there. So we didn't get to, to sort of live that out, which is, excuse me, a little disappointing from a player perspective. But I can understand how how that how you come to that and they don't manage to to pull out this huge win. Um, It was fun to watch it the first time, like when he was first going off and you're seeing it, you're like, Oh, this is cool. But he gets like, I don't know. I think it was when he cast like his third shadow of the grave and he's still going and you're like, all right, I'm beginning to appreciate how if I have to watch this all weekend, I could be sick of it by Sunday evening. Uh, It is funny how this stuff goes from exciting and new and interesting to, I am tired of already tired of watching this like, so quick oh, you, sometimes. Oh, if
0: you don't like watching Marvel, you're not gonna like New Perspectives. <laughs> new
1: perspectives oh, no, is, is,
0: is, isn't interactive in the slightest. And the thing is that the um you know that deck's not well positioned against a very fast format, so it really depends what percentage of the field is gonna stay aggro. Um it does much better against a mid range slog fest um or Marvel players that are having trouble going off on time. Um there was Did you also a, see...
1: Wait, did you see during this match use a right F six and slide the paper under the camera?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was classic.
1: The, yeah. I have to imagine that several Wizards employers employees were grimacing as they looked on at that because they do that type of stuff in like Star City and everything, and it's like it's like whatever Star City, but for the pro tour, like that cannot <laughs> cannot sit with leadership very well. Like, oh, your game's so boring. One of the players is completely checked out.
0: I mean, one of the things that was funny was that. Uh... They made a choice at this Pro Tour. They didn't always feature decks in the feature match area, which usually has four sets of matches, like eight players total, in every round. They did not just uh, show us the top-performing players and decks. They they specifically went after decks that were unusual or interesting to watch and, and matches that were unusual or interesting to watch and as such the day one coverage dramatically underrepresented the number of martyr vehicles decks that were in the field now that turned out to be a a a fine choice because uh by day 2 a lot of them had been weeded out of the field anyway so it didn't feel unnatural but you know i continue i i kept tuning in to to check out matches where people were like uh 5 and 2 instead of like 7 and 0 versus 7 and 0 and i was like well what's going on here and it's an interesting debate that you can have about whether you should be showing the best players or the most interesting players. I think obviously for coverage purposes, the, the, the most interesting matches are the best. Um, but there's something to be said for being truthful about what's actually happening at the top tables. Um, and I'm curious to see how that plays out over time.
1: That that's, that is interesting, and I definitely like the idea of them putting the interesting decks on camera more so than the like best decks because it's not you're not going to have fun just watching Marvel Works smash into itself over and over and over again. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it's you're right, like, I didn't realize how represented, like, Mardu Vehicles was, because I didn't, I swear that I saw somebody say that Mardu Vehicles was not on camera the entire, like, 15 rounds. Was that true?
0: I can't remember 100% for sure if that was true. I think, I don't think it was the primary featured match for most of the cover I, rem- I was watching, and that was, that was almost all of it. Um, but I think it, it, it did show up on some back tables um, that they had to segue to at some point, but they were they Maybe. were underrepresenting it. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, because- yeah, but
1: I mean. You- it was even the fact that we can have this conversation like, wait, did they even show it on camera just goes to show how much less of it we saw than we might have otherwise, Um, which I guess from for us at home is kind of like I, you're you're lacking. You feel like you're not getting the whole story, right? Like it's it's a little like why Well, I'm seeing Marvel works and new perspectives and black white tokens. But it turns out that's like nine players. Well, I mean, whatever. I'll put
0: you this way. Um, the most played two cards at Pro Tour Amon Cat were Fatal Push at 460 copies and Scrap Heap Scrounger at 374. Um, Transgress the Mind at 324. Those are cards played in in Marty Vehicles. Um, they're yeah. they're played in other places, um, but the Teamer decks aren't running Fatal Push, um, and most of them weren't running Sky Peep Scrounger. So, you know, what does that tell you? The uh, some some of the other cool decks that we saw. There was a deck in the hands of Alexandra Haber uh, or Haber. Um, that went seven and three. This was a black red control deck that ran four walking ballista, three Gonti Lord of Luxury, and four Glorybringer alongside two Liliana the Last Hope, three Chandra Torch of Defiance, two Liliana Death's Majesty, and a whole bunch of red and black kill spells. Um, you know, if you're the kind of person that just wants to shut down the aggro scene, um, that might be something you want to consider. Uh, the, uh, white black control had a deck that was in the format. Um, that was pretty similar to white black control decks we saw like a year ago. This was running like four gifted Aetherborn, three Kalidus, one Linvala the Preserver, Gideon, of course, two Soren Grim Nemesis, which is a uh, six cast and cost planeswalker we haven't seen in a while. And then a whole bunch of black and white kill spells that you would expect to see. Uh, also three flaying tendrils main, which was a, a, interesting metagame, uh, tech against the zombies. Um, Abzan Tokens was the Sam black deck. It only went six and four, but the deck's pretty cool. This thing runs four Sacred Cat main. Um, that, (laughs) That in and of itself is enough to get me up out of my chair. Four Catacomb Sifter, four Anointer Priest, four Thraben Inspector, three Gideon, of course. Um, For Fatal Push and Anguished Unmaking, Cryptolith Rite, Hidden Stockpile is really the anchor to this deck, as is Anointed Procession. So the whole deal here is you play Anointed Procession, which is the enchantment that doubles the number of tokens that come into play when they come, and you use this card from that everybody forgot from Kaladesh called Hidden Stockpile, um, which says, At the beginning of your end step, if a permanent you controlled left the battlefield this turn, you create a 1-1 Servo token, and then if you pay 1 and sack a creature, you scry 1. So what you do is you make all these tokens and scry like infinite using Cryptolith right, in coordination with the extra tokens you're getting. And you set up this ridiculous life gain um, off Anointer Priest. And uh, the whole thing just kind of completely spins out of control until you have like a ridiculous amount of tokens and a ridiculous amount of life and your opponent concedes. Okay. Yeah, It Uh,
1: it is quite a deck. I know a lot of people were interested in it when they saw it pop up. Um, A lot of chatter about that and people were excited. Ever since the Aristocrats appeared in, uh, was it like after Dark Ascension or um, Avacyn Restored maybe, uh, people keep wanting to come back to that, you know, the Doom Traveler decks. Um, so, and, and this, uh, it was, it was cool for sure. Definitely did some interesting. I, I, I saw them talk about hidden stockpile and I looked at it. I'm like, really
0: that, that card. Yeah. I mean, just goes to show most of us are terrible at evaluating cards. Cause I dismissed that card out of hand completely and never got back to it, but it takes the brilliance of somebody like a Sam black to figure out, you know, what thing can be broken in a way. I also assumed that the white, uh, that anointed procession was just took too long to get to the board for this format. I mean, it costs four.
1: Yeah. Right. Like that is a uh, every now and then you see the commander card seep in the standard and you kind of left wondering how that happened.
0: But the, the deal is that your Sacred Cat and Thraben Inspector give you some like minor league card advantage, right? If they're dealt with, like people don't like to aim kill spells at those cards. So they don't. And what that means is that your Cryptolith dropping into the table accelerates your mana, which means a noted possession didn't cost as much as you thought it did and then it's doubling up your future tokens which is making right way better than it would normally be and you have to see all those cards in motion together before it really kind of like clicks into place for you there's also the green black mm-hmm. version that was running blister pods loam dryads and dustwatch recruiters alongside bond to the glorified and catacomb sifter um and yeheni undying partisan as a sacrifice outlet so that's more of a kind of a classical um uh aristocrats build um But it feels like there's a lot more options than we saw on the top eight. And I'm very curious to see how the next two months play out.
1: Me me too. Uh, You know, I don't think that there's really a lot of money to be made on standard at this point in time. Um, You know, especially heading into the summer, it's usually just such a dry period for magic. What I do think that you will see is uh, hopefully you can pick up some interesting. Perspectives or cards, <laughs> perspectives on what might be good in October, um, to kind of get a feel for what you might see pop back up. Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to be keeping my
0: out, eyes out for. Well, one of the interesting things here is Torrential Gear Hulk had a bad weekend. Um, you know, there's a ton of counterspells in this format. And last year, last week when we were talking about going into the Pro Tour, I said I thought there was going to be more control builds that would show up. But if we, but Torrential, which was up near you know thirty bucks, I guess, heading into the Pro Tour, um, is yeah. now down closer to twenty. So I mean, it's shaved some some funds, and it, it is likely to keep heading south if you know the Blue decks uh, aren't running Gearhulk in very high quantity. Which means this could get down into the ten to fifteen dollar range, and that's the kind of card that you know, like Marvel before, it seems destined to make a recovery at some point.
1: Yes, and that is one of those cards. I first of all, I was really surprised that Control didn't make it out to the Pro Tour because you have Torrential Gearhawk, you have zombies which you kind of identify as a, the um tribal deck, the the aggroish deck. You have Mardu vehicles which is known and you have Marvel works. So it is really surprising that the, nobody was able to put together a control deck that handle like basically three semi-known quantities. Um but in any case, yeah, I was kind of happy to see Torrential Gearhawk fall flat on his face because, again, around $11, $12. I'll be happy to snag those in August. And, uh, you know, heading into uh, September uh, and the spoiler start, you'll see a cool a couple cool blue cards. And Torrential Gearhawk will jump up to 20 22 and I don't even need him to be played. You know, I'll sell him before the Pro Tour, frankly, uh, because it seems like if he can get that cheap again, he'll definitely be on the way back up in response to uh it it, it on. Ixalan.
0: I am not going to say that correctly once ever. Ixalan, I believe. Ixalan. So I think the thing here is that you have a whole bunch of counterspells in the format, but you need the right configuration for each deck, and it's tough to have one that hits all your targets simultaneously and gives you a reliable play pattern. The In past formats, we've also been able to rely on uh, Wrath-style effects to clear aggro off the board on turn 3, 4, or 5, and know that they're going to have to recommit resources to the board to catch back up. But there's so much resiliency the black the zombies can make tokens relatively easily they can bring back a bunch of zombies relatively easily and when you're playing scrap heaps cruncher you're just you know moving cards out of your graveyard to your exile pile to put the the scrounger back on the on the battlefield and all of that makes you know board clear effects that much worse i mean there's still you you can still get rid of a bunch of the zombies attack force with something like sweltering suns but it's not a slam dunk it's not it's not what it would have been in some of the other standard formats of seasons past.
1: It is very recursive this time around, uh, especially with like Scrap paper scrounger and Dreadwander. You're absolutely right. Um, and I wonder if we're going to see some more permanent solutions uh, printed in uh, Ixalan just to, to kind of keep it from getting too out of hand.
0: Alright, so the only, uh, I guess the only other point I have there, since we were talking about Bantu, I'll just throw a little, couple of quick hits out at people. Uh, Heruya, MTG.com is the, basically the Star City Games of Japan, and it's a good place to be keeping your eye out on in case the Japanese scene is undervaluing cards that might be good down the road. A Couple of hits from Amanket that we, we touched on today and a couple we didn't. Uh, you can get Japanese foil Bantu the Glorifieds for 10 bucks. Uh, Japanese foil Harsh Mentors for 10 bucks. Um, everybody seems to be off that card, but I don't know that that could, that might get there down the road. Um, Japanese foil glorious end at seven bucks. If you believe that's ever going to get broken, that's a pretty good deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, I think that was my top three. So the only other thing I wanted to talk about today was there was an, somebody caught wind. Uh, I don't think it was an official release, but there was something slipped out of the, the cracks in the wall over at wizard's and revealed that the set after Ixalan is Rivals of Ixalan, so that'll be next uh, winter, February-ish, I guess, or late January, and that there's a set in the summer of 2018 that's just called 25, um, because it's the 25th anniversary of Magic. Um, so here's the thing that strikes me as odd, Travis. Do you feel like there's enough... What's that, James. Do you feel like there's <laughs> enough cannon fodder between... Iconic masters and the kinds of cards you would expect to have in a set called 25 to differentiate the two
1: sets. (laughs) I am having a hard time coming up with what they could possibly do here. That makes 25 that much more compelling and interesting than iconic masters. Like what punches are they pulling in iconic masters that they're saving for 25? Because when I'm, th- I just,
0: yeah. When I'm thinking of cards for iconic masters, I'm thinking of the original iconic cards: Hypnotic Specter, Lightning Bolt, Giant Growth, um, Counter Spell, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, we're probably going to get Mana Drain. It's a good place to print Rashad and Port. Okay, and. A lot of the other stuff has already been showing up in modern masters or it's getting reprinted in other supplemental products. And, you know, iconic masters felt like the tour down memory lane that was being set up for the 25th. So to get another set, which sounds like, if I'm guessing, it's probably a summer release and, or it could be a spring release. Either way, it, it's the LGS only supplemental slot would be my guess. So they, what they might be doing here is that 25 is a core set that's only released to LGS's.
1: That, a core that's only released to LGSs, that is odd. Um, I mean, it's possible, but then, so now you have,
0: is it part of standard in that case? I have no idea. I mean, or it, I, the, I would if I'm imagining this, I'm assuming it's similar to Origins with some tweaks. And one of those tweaks might be that there are, they print new cards in 25 for a bunch of different formats. You know, that, that's one way to go with that product. That would certainly differentiate it from any of the Masters, which are all reprints. If they decide to, right. you know, go right off the chain and say, okay, we're going to give you some of the other, you know, most iconic, oddly, cards from the history of Magic, but we're also going to throw in 10 new cards or 20 new cards or 30 new cards. That's a whole different story, right? Now that set sounds interesting. Because you're, you're going to be drafting new cards alongside old cards, so the draft pattern's all weird.
1: Yeah. I, I mean... Maybe I, I mean, I think you, you might be on the right path of this origins idea, but maybe it's basically just a well, they've been at this point. They've done like three years of two set blocks. Maybe that's their opportunity to kind of do another three set block. Um, they would have been able to plan for that by the time they figured out. I think they would have already known that they were changing rotation again. By the time that they plan that product out, maybe, so like they might it might be easier for them to do a three set block as opposed to another two set. So they could go, okay, well we've done a bunch of two set blocks. Now we're gonna you know kind of go back and do another three set block, kind of a throwback because um, it's Magic's 25th anniversary. And then the core set that year will be this Magic 25, and we're gonna reprint some cool cards from Magic's past, but they're gonna be legal and standard. Um which hasn't happened in a while. So maybe that's like lightning bolt coming back to standard, which we haven't seen in a while, type of thing. Um and it's essentially origins with reprints. Uh, some amount of reprints just to put the cards back in standard I don't know just another possibility I suppose yeah we're, but we're, in we're, we're just
0: spitballing the... for sure but yeah, but I, yeah. I, I, I I'm, I'm dying to know <laughs> both what's in you know, iconic masters and what's in 25 because I'm, I'm just having trouble wrapping my head around how there's enough uh fuel for the fire yeah
1: yeah for sure at the very least uh everything that is could possibly be reprinted next year terrifies me <laughs> yeah I'd...
0: because it just
1: there's so many places that it could show up
0: yeah all, all the more reason that i'm refocused on cards that are underpriced in europe and commander cards yeah
1: for sure for sure
0: all right so yeah we've pontificated long enough uh on things we have no facts um to uh, resolve um where can people find you online travis
1: Well, James, I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I I write every Monday for MGG Price. Uh, I do the Cartel Aristocrats podcast. Um, That is my fiance in the background making chocolate milk and stirring very loudly, which I'm sure this microphone is picking up. Yep. (laughs) And uh, I also run scry.land if you like playing magic. Check out scry.land. Find magic in your area.
0: You guys can find me, as always, on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on mdgprice.com. If you want to make fun of my hair, you can go over to YouTube and watch the video <laughs> I did recently for Tolarian Academy. <laughs> uh, and I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the Pro Trader service for just four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Um, one other point I want to make there. Uh, people uh, that have recently signed up as pro traders, you're supposed to get an invite to our forums, which is uh, that system is broken. So if you need one, reach out to me or Travis on Twitter and we will get you hooked up.
1: And I would like to make one other point as I have met James in person. And while the hairstyle does look like that, it was, it is nowhere near as uh, noticeable (laughs) as some of you thought it was on the YouTube. It's really not that offensive. Uh, So, you know, just so you guys are all aware, it's may have been emphasized on camera or something. I don't know. It it
0: only cost me 20 bucks to have you say that.
1: It's, (laughs) It's a sweet deal. Well, you know, I feel like I am viciously honest enough most of the time that our and our listeners will take what I say as reasonably reliable. Yeah,
0: they, 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 they trust that you've read enough GQ issues and, and annual style guides <laughs> that you'd be all up in my business if I was, yeah. you know, representing the unicorn life a little too hard. <laughs> all
1: right. Well, I really enjoyed our show tonight. James, thanks for joining me and I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you guys all next week on
0: another episode of MTT Fast Finance.